We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he banked it in. He banked it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Razor catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao. Puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks oh. Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Dwayne Washington Jr., and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And I'm not joined today by Michael J. Fachi, but I am joined by the one and only J. Michael J. Uh, not with the Indy Star anymore, but you got a new gig going on. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, yeah, I went back to the desk. I was kind of trying to get off the road. So um, uh, I'm, I'm the sports editor at Orlando Sentinel. Um, I started out here in the late 90s and uh, I was assistant. I rose from a copy editor to assistant sports editor back then before I left and went to USA Today. Um, so I kind of have a desk. Most people these days know me as a, a writer and they were surprised I get to run a department, but I used to be the number three in command of running a department that was really huge back then in the day in terms of the number of people that we had. So, um, so I've always been kind of both and I can flip between both roles. So I was looking to get off the road. I was tired. Um, even before COVID, I was thinking about it a little bit. And I think once COVID hit and then we had that year and a half to, uh, you know, decompress. And, you know, I've been living down here in Florida. You guys have heard me talk about that, like, mm-hmm. for a while since uh, when COVID hit. My wife was, you know, she works at IMG Academy for the basketball program. Uh, and so we have a home down here, too. So I was going to be going between both locations. And when COVID hit, I just stayed down here. And one thing led to another and a position came open to run a department at a place that I used to work. And I still know some people there and uh, they know the kind of work I do. So it was kind of, um, it was kind of natural, natural progression. It kind of happened by chance. I really wasn't even looking for the, 
the job. It just kind of happened like that. But uh, one of the good things about it is even though it's based in Orlando, I'm able to still work mostly remotely from where I'm at in Sarasota. I'll just go in occasionally when there's a need. But uh, so that was a really big selling point for me uh, to make the jump. So I'm going to miss doing MBAs or a portal full time. But man, there's some other benefits to uh, living out of a suitcase and flying back and forth, getting getting delayed during the holidays, two hours on a flight and all that other stuff. Pe- people think it's glorious of covered an NBA or a major professional sports. They don't see how the sausage is made behind the scenes. And when you're beat right on the road, man, it's it's something else. So uh, I'm a little bit too old for that. now. Well, I, I want to say we will miss you because you did a great job covering the Pacers, but are super excited for your new, you know, adventure here with the Orlando Sentinel. And I know you're going to do a great job in that role, but before we get into our question of the day that we're going to really hit on this podcast, I just wanted to know if there was anything that you'd like to kind of, you know, just talk about maybe your time in Indiana, some of the things you'll miss, some of the things you liked about this team and just any of that kind of stuff. I, I miss like, I'm telling you, I didn't think, um, I didn't think I'd like Indianapolis as much as I did, believe it or not. Uh, I was skeptical when I took the job, not, not the job itself. I thought the job would be great. But, you know, I've been in Washington, D.C. for 18 years and, you know, Indy isn't Washington, D.C. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and prior to that, I was in Orlando for, you know, eight years. So, um, yeah, I just wasn't sure what to expect. And I was like, well, you know, I'll see how this goes. I have my reservations, but it's an MBA job. I got to do it. Now, I'll tell you, the first probably three or four months are really difficult um, in sense of, New place, new things, um, new team. Uh, I had pretty good contacts of where I was previously and having to really build from scratch. Uh, but man, it, it's one of the more difficult things is, is, is was leaving for me. I didn't think it would be as uh, gut-wrenching as it was for me to, I thought by the time I left Indy, I would be like, hey, see you later, can't wait to go. But no, not at all. Um, I, I just had a good time um, thoroughly there. Um, the fan base is the fan base is way better. I mean, I, I guess it kind of goes without saying. The fan base in Indy is way better than say what I experienced in in Washington. <laughs> um, that's a football city. Um, now, a baseball city uh, with a with a basketball team that's been rudderless for quite some time. Um, so, I, just in terms of, I felt like what I did in Indy was far more important, or it mattered more than what I did for the you know six years. Even though I was in DC 18 years, I was covering the Wizards specifically for six. I was covering the NBA before that as a whole. Um, but yeah, it mattered, what I did mattered far more uh, in Indy than it mattered when I was covering the Wizards. There's no doubt about that. So, um, so it's always good when you're covering a team or working in a place where you feel like the beat you cover matters a lot. And it's not just kind of like a, yeah, you know, well, whatever, it's just another team. So uh, that's probably what I missed the most. I miss living close to, you know, the one thing I didn't have in DC that I had in Indy, like I live like just a, like five miles out of, uh, from the arena. Mm-hmm. So being able to get back and forth, not having to hit interstate traffic. I, I just missed the whole routine of it. And I'm be honest, man, the Pacers organization is, um, you know, even though there's a lot of stuff, there's times where I report things that probably aren't flattering towards the organization. Uh, and some organizations can try to take it personal and, make your job difficult and uh, try to soil your name by saying untrue things about you. Like I've never experienced that with Indiana. They were more than professional, courteous, uh, everything about that team from, you know, the people in the PR staff all the way up to the top 
never had a bad interaction with anybody. And I honestly can't say that about the <laughs> place I've been. Like, you know, it's, I mean, I de- even when I was in D.C., I remember having Randy Whitman, when he was coach, cuss me out one good time. But Randy cussed everybody out probably <laughs> at least one time, so it wasn't personal. But um, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a good experience. And that's why I've, re- you know, you know, I've talked to people who are interested in the job and, uh, you know, I've talked to somebody who um, was really interested in the job. And I, uh, and I said, you know, I made a pitch. Everybody I talked to, I've made the pitch. I felt like I've almost been an ambassador for uh, covering that team and working for Indy Star. Like it is one of the best jobs as a wow. beat, as a beat writer. You can have, I mean, this is inside basketball stuff that most people don't know or probably don't care about really, but what we have to do day to day, um, the job you do, the support you have doing it is, is light years difference in Indianapolis compared to anything that I know other people go through covering teams in Philadelphia, New York, LA, places like that. Um, what they have to go through is hell and high water to cover those teams. And what's being asked of them for that job, kind of dealing with those teams sometimes, I didn't have any of those experiences. I felt kind of I felt lucky doing that job. And, you know, um, I actually kind of, uh, you know, if you ask me what would be one of the top five NBA jobs to do just based on the job itself, covering the Pacers definitely would be on my top five in that list. I mean, uh, oh. I, would, I wouldn't want to, I tell you, I wouldn't want to cover the Knicks, wouldn't want to cover the Nets, uh, bigger, more high profile teams. But if you understand what the job is and know what we have to go through day to day, it's really not that much of a picnic. <laughs> and you can own Indiana as, at the Indianapolis star. Cause it's the, the place, the main place that covers the team. You don't have 35 other outlets competing with you and throwing all kinds of things against the wall that you got to chase. Some of it's a lot of it. That's nonsense. You don't, you can actually concentrate and own the beat. And that's what I concentrated on doing for uh, my almost four years there. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that if anybody from the Pacers front office or any of the guys that cover the team are listening to this, I'm sure they're happy to hear that because, you know, it's uh, it's always exciting to hear good things and positive things. And like you said, you came into it not really knowing what to expect. And I kind of think that's the rep Indiana gets. It's like kind of a quiet town. People don't know too much about it. But when they get here, they realize it's not as bad as people make it out to be or there's more to be desired here than people realize. But yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about this team because, quite frankly, they didn't make drastic changes. We had Gian kind of once the free agency period was over for the Pacers. And you look at this roster now, and all of a sudden we hear the horrible news of Edmund Sumner pretty much out for the season and TJ Warren out indefinitely. And so injuries has been a thing that has plagued this team pretty much since 2008, 2019. And without significant changes, I wanted to get your thoughts on how this team is built in terms of getting guys that have such a long injury history. Um, yeah. Um, obviously, the Sumner thing, I thought Sumner was going to have a really good year this year. So I was kind of um, kind of bummed by that. The TJ Warren thing kind of surprised me because, you know, before I left the beat, uh, I was told he was doing really well. Look, it, it's – that doesn't mean he wasn't doing well. I think he was doing well, but obviously he had a setback during the process. Um, and I think really when you look at the whole T.J. Warren thing, you got to ask yourself, and I, I wrote about this right before I left, um, I think that job is Chris Duarte's long-term, not T.J. Warren's at this point. 
Um, and I was starting to feel that way, I think, before the injury. But obviously, I feel that way, especially now. Uh, but yeah, this team with injuries, man, it's it's something else. Every team has injuries to some degree. I haven't run across an NBA team that hasn't had significant injuries during the season. But my goodness, um, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've joked to people like whoever has the voodoo doll that's doing this to the Pacers needs to be found quickly because <laughs> this team is like this team when it comes to that like really serious stuff. That's troubling. I will tell you this about T.J. Warren. When I don't know if you remember last season when they wouldn't rule him out, they, they kind of waited a long time to say he's not going to return. Uh, right, I was right. told, I was told, I was kind of being told like, yeah, he's not going to play, probably play, but we can't. I can't tell you that for certain. And I later found out the reason why they wanted to do that was because they wanted to keep him chasing that carrot that he could come back and play, mm-hmm. so he wouldn't slack off in his recovery and his training because they wanted to keep him motivated, even though they knew there was no way he was playing again next year, last year. Um, I mean, you know, it's, and so they were, and and they've been, they had been really into TJ Warren, you know, um, really believed in TJ Warren because they got him for like basically nothing from Phoenix. He's been a good player. He loves Indianapolis. They like him a lot. Uh, But the reality is he's going into the final year of his contract and now you're talking about a second season where he's not anywhere close to 100%. Um, and you got to start weighing risk versus reward. And that's why I think there's a potential. I said that Duarte would start before by, by the midpoint of the season. That's what Warren being healthy. Um, I think you guys are going to, I think what you need to look at with this team, mm-hmm. Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, because they believe in both of them far more than they ever believed in Aaron Holiday and TJ Leaf and Goga Bataze. They really believe in these two guys being part of the long-term future. And I think that's, I think that's where it's at. And how does that kind of work out in the course of a season? I, you know, I don't know. You, they want to, you know, you want to obviously win and make the playoffs, but I think they believe that they don't have to slow play those guys. Maybe Jackson, obviously a little bit more because he's more raw needs to get more more size and more strength physically. But they believe that those two guys are the future of the team, not in what we usually always talk about, you know, Malcolm, TJ, Miles, and and even and, and even Sabonis. I mean, I think Sabonis will be there long-term. But those other guys, I think those are interchangeable. I think these two rookies you have coming in, that's going to determine a whole lot about what this team is going to look like coming forward. Yeah, and, I, and I'm really excited to see both these young guys because – Rick Carlisle has had just incredible praise for Isaiah Jackson, has spoke more highly about him than Duarte. I don't think it's really a knock against Duarte. It's just giving this guy a lot of praise because he likes a lot of the things that he does, specifically on the defensive side of things. But without T.J. Warren, there is that hole there at that small forward position. There's been talks about maybe Torrey Craig, Justin Holiday once again can maybe get that spot. But the guy that I think makes the most sense for it is Chris Duarte. However, I know that plugging a rookie into that spot right away is not the most common thing that we see, especially for a guy like Rick Carlisle, who's not known for playing a lot of rookies. So what do you think the Pacers do here with that position? I think that's Duarte's spot, man. Um, okay. I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think using, well, this is what Rick Carlisle has done in previous places. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily going to apply here. Okay. Um, 
And it's going to be his to now. If he does, if he shows that he's not ready for it, I mean, obviously, Carlisle wouldn't have any problem pulling it away from him. But mm. I, I think it's Duarte's spot to lose. I mean, that's how high they are. I mean, you know, they, they were high when I reported way back. I think I reported the first week of July that Duarte was going to be their pick, and people just couldn't believe it. Like, that's how confident they were in him, even that far back. Like, he's their guy. So I think it's Duarte's spot to lose. And I think it's probably – he's a, I think Justin Holiday is seen as better being off the bench regardless of how that lineup gets shaken up. Just because Justin is just limited um, in what he can do off the bounce. And he's not, he's not going to be the creator Duarte is. So uh, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think it's his spot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, that's exciting for me to hear because I, I know I wasn't high on Duarte. We talked about this before once, whenever the Pacers drafted him because just everything going against him 24 years old. But if you look at the story and everything he's gone through, it's, it's really exciting. Now they brought in Tory Craig, and this is a guy that a lot of people have questioned if the Pacers knew about this injury before they acquired Craig and free agency, it almost sounded like Rick Carlisle hinted at the fact that maybe they got Craig because they knew Warren's injury was going to be a little bit lengthier than maybe the fans expected. But at the same time, where do you see him fitting into this rotation? And do you think there's a possibility that, it does cut into the minutes of maybe an O'Shea Brissett or a Gogo Batadze. Oh yeah, I think it. I think it can and will cut into their minutes. Um, I, I'm not sure how much, by the way, Carlisle likes Batadze. Um, okay. I've never really gotten a sense of that. Um, I, I believe that if you look at what Rick has done with a lot of his bigs, he loves his bigs. You know, taking threes and, and shooting the long ball. So, I mean, I guess that would be good for Gogo because you know that he does that very well. But I think well, he, he could potentially do that well. He's spotty when it comes to it. But, um, you know, I, I, I kind of think that even though Gogo can hit some threes here and there, that big body, and he can be physical and strong, I actually would like to see him try to play in the post and use some more of his, his size and strength down there. But that's just me. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think when you throw those three names out there, I would say I'd be slanted towards Craig because he's experienced, he's a veteran guy, Um you know, he can, he can defend, he, you know, I don't think his lateral movement is the greatest in the world per se, uh, but he's, you know, he's obviously a, a, a better than average defender, at least I think so. Um, 
you know, he's, he's limited offensively. You're not going to, you know, he's good in certain situations with the ball. You know, Pacers are loaded with guys who are good in certain situations with the ball. You're not going to have Torrey Craig isolating on offense and getting a bucket for you. But you know what he has really that, that I think he does well is that he's, he's really active around the rim. Um, he gets a lot of those tip-in second-chance kind of buckets or help you get second chances. I think that's where he'll kind of help the team most. So I think – you know, O'Shea Brissett's also pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a better, you know, and he's a better shooter um, from distance. So uh, I like Brissett in a lot of ways. The one thing I would caution about Brissett, and maybe this is just a skewed sample because it's summer league. You know, they sat him after two games in summer league because nobody else was getting shots on the floor. <laughs> O'Shea was gunning <laughs> like crazy <laughs> in summer league. It's like, hold on, we got to – Okay, we know what you are and what you can potentially do. So they they pulled him out of summer league to to quote unquote rest him, but so they could get some of these other younger, unproven guys and get guys like Duarte into the floor of the offense a little bit better. So I think O'Shea got a little bit shot happy and he was heat checking those first two games <laughs> of summer league. But I think probably Brissett is more skilled than Craig in a lot of ways. But I think Craig, you know. Veteran coaches like Carlisle, they want a guy like a Tory Craig, who I think will get the first crack at it to see if he can be that guy. That's my hunch. I don't mm-hmm. know that fact, but but that would be my hunch with him. But uh, uh, look, I, I think Brissett, you know, I think Brissett's ceiling is higher, but maybe Craig, at least early on in some of these spots, might be a more consistent option for him to get started. Right, right. Well, yeah, because so if you're saying Duarte is the most likely maybe to start there for T.J. Warren's injury, you've got McConnell, you've got Justin Holiday, you've got Craig, you've got Brissett, and then you got Goga maybe as your backup five, uh, five guys there. There's still a hole there for Jeremy Lamb, and I'm not sure where he fits in. If if Carlisle wants to stagger the bigs mostly and not play Goga, you mentioned, you're not sure how much he likes Goga, so. Is that maybe a possibility they play Lamb over Goga and then kind of split the bigs up that way and go with a 10-man rotation? I mean, I guess they could, but, you know, as I, as I reported, man, Lamb's not, Lamb's not the future. Lamb's, right. Lamb's on his way out. But I mean, could they do that early? Yeah. I mean, they, the minute Lamb starts playing well, he's, he's being moved anyway. <laughs> um, he's out of there. Um, that's, unless they've changed game plans now as a result of Warren's injury or something like that, I, I don't – I, I don't think they're going to keep – I don't get the sense that Lamb is going to be their pass, say, you know, by the time the, the calendar turns to 2022. Mm-hmm. I'd be sure. Now, if he came out, he wasn't playing well, he was injured again, whatever, okay, then they might be stuck with him for a bit and have to wait till the trade deadline to try to move him. But, I, you know, I don't think Lamb is, is part of that picture long term. I do – you mentioned T.J. McConnell. That's the one guy um, – I don't get the sense is a Carlisle guy. Right? No, really? Yeah. Uh, look, the Pacers were going to pay him. They're going to keep him and give him some gar- long guarantee. From what I gathered leading up to that point, that was more of a, a front office move than it was a uh, – and I, and, and I had been reporting or saying for the longest time, T.J. McConnell's a lot – been saying T.J. McConnell was a lot to come back since, like, January – <laughs> this mm-hmm. year. Like he's when you know when the debate was like is it McConnell McDermott what did, what did I tell you guys back then it's it's McConnell it's already yeah. that, that decision's I've had conversations with enough people that that decision has always already had been made so it was not it was not a mystery what they were going to do going into free agency McDermott was going to walk because they couldn't pay him 
based on what his market value was. McConnell was, was the guy because he's an Indiana guy. Uh, I don't get the sense, though, that he's a Rick Carlisle guy. And I don't know if that's because I, I don't think that's a personal thing with Carlisle as much as a style of play thing. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody likes T.J. McConnell as a, as a person. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so I think that's the big question to see what happens there with that spot with Rick Carlisle. And, um, uh, you know, and, and that's why you saw when they went into, you know, you know, this talk about who's the third guard uh, is so important. Uh, point guard is so important for them uh, because I, I just don't get the sense that, you know, does TJ McConnell's role get changed or his time get cut? I don't know. I just, I just don't believe that if you ask Rick Carlisle honestly, and he gave you an honest answer, I think you, I think he would prefer, as a matter of fact, I know he would, would have preferred uh, another primary backup to Malcolm Brogdon. Interesting. Okay. Cause I, I think a lot of people are under the um, assumption that McConnell kind of fits that JJ Berea style of player somebody that Carlisle went to a lot back in Dallas. Now I get to shoot the three, right? Well, that's the thing. And that's, that's why we've only heard about TJ McConnell and his three point shooting improving. And I, I know Kristen Neri came on our podcast and Jeremiah Johnson talked about it. I think Pat Boylan did too, really highlighting the fact that he's been working out with his dad a lot. And I think it's Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, that area. And they've been putting up a lot of three point shots during the summer. So maybe that is something that, is almost like a requirement maybe from Rick Carlisle for him to, you know, continue to get the same amount of playing time that he once was, is he's got to be able to develop that three-point shot because if he doesn't, then he is a limited player at that point. Yeah, J.J. Barea changed the finals in 2011. Mm. He changed the NBA finals. I, You know, I, I talk about this all the time because it's like people always ask me, what's the favorite finals you ever covered? And that was it. You know, I covered the Western Conference that year, and I dealt and I followed um, – I followed the Mavericks uh, through most of that run. I covered the entire series at Oklahoma City, and the previous series um, uh, that they had before that, I think it was the Lakers who they swept. So um, I'm quite familiar with Rick and what he likes in Berea. You know, you know, when that series changed with Miami, they were down 2-1. And, and I talked with Rick about this when he came to Indiana. I said, you remember our conversation you know, in his office? It was just the two of us. It's like, he's like, well, what do you think we should do? I said, you should bench Pager and start J.J. Barea. And then I go out to practice that day, and Jason Terry lets the cat out of the bag and says, yeah, J.J.'s going to be starting. I'm like, hot damn. I was like, so they did make the move. And, <laughs> and Rick wasn't happy that Jet let that out, but that was my – he had already decided to do that. But that was – I said, look, if J.J. Barea doesn't work, nothing's going to work. And Barea changed that series. So – he can do a lot of things TJ can that Berea can do because Berea would kill them, would kill you for hedging the pick and roll, which is what Miami was doing, um, hard hedging with the big, and Berea was dissecting that. And but you know the difference is JJ when you when you tried to play him for that drive he would he got the three and he was killing, and that's what changed that series. I mean, what as great as Dirk played, if you look at Dirk Nowitzki statistically. He didn't have a great series in a lot of these games. He hit shots in the fourth quarter at the right time to help him win. But J.J. Barea changed the geometry of the game. So is, is T.J. McConnell Barea? No. Actually, Barea is smaller than T.J. But the three ball made all the difference in the world. 
Yeah, and he was an elite shooter at that time, too. Uh, you knew J.J. Barea was going to knock some big shots down. So let me move over a little bit back to T.J. Warren. You brought him up earlier. We talked about the injury, and you kind of hinted at Duarte's the future. So who knows how long-term uh, T.J. Warren is a part of the Pacers organization, but go back and look at that end-of-season presser. Kevin Pritchard just raved about T.J. Warren not being there and basically – kind of acted like he was the reason why they weren't as good as they could have been because they didn't have that type of player, which I kind of understand. But with him being so injury prone and missing all of last season, now we don't know how many games he's going to play. What should the Pacers do here with TJ Warren? Should they look at this contract and give him an extension? How much is he worth? I mean, where do you think they value him at? Is, is he a guy they want to play at the four maybe and put Duarte at the three going forward? Or how do you see this all working out? Yeah, that's that's a tough one, man, because, you know, the problem is if you wanted to trade him, uh, unless he's healthy, and like saying it's kind of similar to Jeremy Lamb, until he's healthy and showing that he can play again at a high level, his trade values is, is, is completely diminished. Mm-hmm. But then even if he is playing well, given his history with the feet, that's going to that's gonna factor in too. So I think it, probably best case scenario if you're the Pacers is uh, I, I think you can get him for, keep him for a lot cheaper now um, and, and put him on a kind of deal that, you know, instead of him, you know, TJ thought, you know, before all these injuries happened, like, hey, he was in line to get, you know, his $20 million a year. Uh, that's clearly not going to happen now. Um, uh, it's clearly not going to happen now. So or it's 20 million plus a year. Um, so you can get him at a cheaper number, even if he's not um, the TJ that scored 53 points against Philadelphia in the bubble. If he's still relatively healthy, that's a pretty darn good player to have on the team. Mm. Uh, and he's, he's obviously would be a good six man type player for you. So I think, I think what they'll end up doing uh, is provided that they don't think that, you know, there's going to be any long-term ramifications beyond this injury whenever he recovers from it. I think they can they can keep him on, you know, maybe not a four- or five-year deal or something like that, but maybe you, you get him for two or two years plus a third year unguaranteed um, where you can potentially um, keep him uh, at a much lower number, maybe around $12 million a year or something like that. And so it would be a cap-friendly sort of deal. I could totally – see something like that. And if it doesn't work out and he's not the player that you thought he could be, uh, at least it doesn't completely kill you uh, on your books. And maybe he's really good once every three games instead instead of, you know, every game like he can be for the Pacers now. But I would see, I still see him more as a, as a guy, as a, as a, as a three more so than a four. Right. I don't know if, off, offensively, I, I don't know what he would look like as a four. I don't. I just. I can't see him playing as a four offensively. At least if he can, I haven't seen signs of that. Um, defensively, maybe he can a little bit, but still, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sold on that either. I think he's physically strong enough to bang against some of these guys. Uh, my only question about his defense has always been as good as he can be, and he's been surprisingly a good defender when he was in Indiana when he played. It's just sometimes that he was overly aggressive against the wrong players. He was closing out. I never forget that that playoff series with Miami. He was closing hard, closing out Jimmy Butler off the catch, which there was no reason to ever do that. And Butler was beating him off the dribble and getting into the lane at will. I thought it was more of an IQ thing more so with him defensively 
more so than anything else because lateral movement, again, kind of like Tory Craig, a uh, good defender, but can be beat laterally because he's not the fastest guy, but he has potential. So mm-hmm. I still see him more as a three who has four potential, but I don't know if long – I would have to imagine long-term, you know, four has to be in his future as he slows down, especially as he keeps getting injured. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, that's some great points there. And, it, and it's curious because if we're looking at Duarte as the three and Lavert as the two, you know, for the future of this team, where does that leave Warren? Especially if you already have Turner on the books for this year and next year. And then Isaiah Jackson, the guy you said they're really high on as well. I'm just curious, you know, this is just my thought. You got two more years left of Turner, three of Sabonis. I know Carlisle has said a lot of good things about Miles Turner. And we've, we know what Miles Turner brings to the table, but is Isaiah Jackson possibly going to be that guy that fills in for Miles in that starting lineup once Miles' contract uh, it runs out unless he gets moved before then? Absolutely. That's how high they are. They are, they are, they are low key. Then they're going to be cautious of what they say about Isaiah Jackson. But they are thrilled beyond anything you could imagine about Isaiah Jackson on what he can be. Wow. All of of Miles' weaknesses uh, with, you know, in terms of, you know, not necessarily weaknesses. We've seen Miles defend smaller guys in space, but he can't, you know, you're not going to put a a Miles on an island to defend elite guys in space. Uh, Jackson is better suited at doing it. He's a better athlete. Um, the, the biggest knock, you know, there's kind of a trend is what I say about these guys when I get constructive criticism about them. And, and look, if a guy can't physically do something, he can't do it. It's not because he doesn't put in the effort. He's not trying. I'm not criticizing them. But constructively, if you look at where the Pacers are weakest at as a whole, they're weak on it when it comes to athletes. Isaiah Jackson is an athlete as a big, like no one else they have on that roster. There's no one even close. Miles is obviously the closest to him. But the way Isaiah Jackson turns with his hips, way better than Miles Turner. His right. speed, foot speed, running up and down the court, he he can Isaiah can run half speed and outrun every big on that team, getting up and down the court. Wow. Um, so if you think about the criticisms I said about lateral movement with some of these guys and, and slot, you know that kind of stuff. Be you know that's where these guys like Duarte and Jackson are superior to all of them right now. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be better basketball players than them, but from the physical skill set, that's where they're better. And that's where the Pacers need to get better at, uh, with better athletes. And that's what's always been – that's always been kind of a handicap for them. So, uh, so yeah, Isaiah Jackson is – once he gets phys- – if he gets physically stronger just a little bit more, and look, he can give you the shot blocking that Miles Turner can give you. He can defend switches at the top uh, better than anybody on this team. Uh, and all it is is about having, you know, having good discipline, a little bit more physical strength. I mean, you know, you can switch one through five with him. Um, the Pacers weren't always good at switching one through five. Um, and, you know, you, you get caught out in transition on a mismatch. 
And, you know, there's no mismatch with Isaiah Jackson out there in, in a lot of cases. Far fewer mismatches with him caught in those kind of crazy situations. When the ball gets forced up the court, when you have, you know, when you have Russell Westbrook, think about that, those games against Washington when the ball got thrown ahead mm-hmm. and, you know, five pacers were behind the ball. Isaiah Jackson won't be behind the ball uh, because he, he'll be in front of the ball because he's that fast and he's that good of an athlete. Well, I think if the Pacers can get two starters out of this draft for the future in Duarte and Isaiah Jackson, uh, we can maybe overlook the bad pick in TJ Leaf, right? <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's <laughs> yeah, like look, you can't knock them all out the park, but right. yeah, yeah, that's a yeah, that's yeah, that that's a I guess it's yeah, yeah, I guess you can forget the TJ Leaf thing. I still think that's going to sting no matter what <laughs> for a lot of people. The TJ's. It's not like TJ Leaf was not the best player available and you ended up with a decent player, but one that's, you know, but let's say if you ended up with a, like, let's say if TJ Warren, TJ uh, Leaf was like Kelly Olenek level, right? He's right. not even that level. <laughs> like, no. So you can be like, hey, okay, he wasn't the best player available, but he's serviceable. He does good things like Olenek does, but TJ Leaf isn't even in the league. So <laughs> that's, that's always, I think he's going to end up on that list of, um, I don't know where on the list, but he's going to end up on that list of the worst picks that the Pacers have made. He's going to end up – I don't know where you put him. You put him top five, top ten, top 15, but he's on it somewhere. Well, I will just tell you this. The Pacers have had a lot of bad draft picks in their history, and we did a podcast just on Monday ranking the top ten draft picks of the 21st century, and it was so bad that a lot of our guys – I had two other guys on there with me, Fachi and Tyler Smith – they ended up putting this year's rookies on there in the top 10 already. And I said, I mean, I can't justify doing that since we haven't seen them play NBA games yet. But I mean, we had Solomon Hill, Tyler Hansborough, and I had A.J. Price on my on my top 10. A.J. Price, I forgot yeah. about him. Right. I mean, it's just like one of those things where it's like this team has not really drafted well, but when they have drafted in the lottery, they've done pretty well. So I'm, I got to ask this question. I know we got to get off here and I got to let you get back to work. But when it comes to – Rick Carlisle's role with this, you know, organization, how much of an impact did he have on all the moves they made on draft night? Uh, he had an impact on everything. Okay. Carlisle's got more input. You know, if you had to rate the input of an NBA coach with a team and the moves they make, uh, and you had to kind of rate it on a scale, Carlisle is easily top three in the league with his influence about what happens with the roster. Now, from what I was told, it was a little bit of give and take, like, Okay, we're gonna extend. T- we're gonna give T.J. McConnell this long deal, longer deal. Fine, I'll let you have this. You got okay. I'll work with this, but this is what I want, and they give it to him. Um, so he has a he has a, he has a lot of influence. So um, and he's obviously gonna have a lot of influence on what happens with him in, in the trade deadline uh, and free agency. You know that doesn't mean he's running the team. Kevin Pritchard's still running the team, but I think Pritchard, you know, really respects in the organization the perspective that Carlisle brings. I mean, that's why you gave him a, they gave him a four year, $29 million deal. I mean, yep. you don't give that kind of money to a coach without giving him uh, some input, because if you don't believe in him that much, then you shouldn't give him that much money. So <laughs> it's kind of a, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, his paycheck says he has influence alone. Um, and, 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 and that's a huge thing. I think, you know, I think he has far more influence about what happens with the roster than than what Nate McMillan had. Obviously, the, the other Nate had, whose name I, 
I think everybody's gotten amnesia and forgot about Nate Bjorken. I almost got through a podcast with you without mentioning his name. Oh man, that'd have been nice, right? I mean, <laughs> do we even know what he's up to now? I don't. I thought I heard he went back to Toronto, right? What? Well, I looked on their on their website to see if he was on the coaching staff, and he has not been mentioned or listed. I mean, if I were him, I would be taking a year off. I mean, he's, he had a guaranteed year coming up this year from the Pacers. So, I mean, you, you're essentially getting paid to not work. Mm-hmm. I would take that every time, no matter what. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think he really needs to get away from the game, have people forget his name so they don't mention him on podcasts like this and hit the reset button because his, his, he took a huge hit. And, you know, I reported during the year that they were worried about him mentally at one point because they thought he was breaking down mentally. Uh, and that was real. And wow. uh, I think if there was somebody, anybody that needed a mental health break, whether you think he deserved what he got or not, or, but he needed it. And I, I, that wouldn't be a bad idea for him to, uh, to get away for a bit. I still think he eventually will have a job back at Toronto whenever he wants it because of Nick Nurse and their relationship. Yeah. It makes, that's what makes the most sense to me too. I thought he'd be back already this year, but he probably does need to just take a break from everything and reevaluate everything and just make sure this is really what he wants to do. Cause uh, if it's mentally causing that much of an effect on you, I mean, is it really worth your, your, you know, your sanity, I guess you could say. But uh, last question for me here as we wrap it up, let's look at this Pacers team compared to the rest of the Eastern Conference. We've done this on, obviously, numerous offseason podcasts, but I'm curious your thoughts. Where do you see this team going up against the other teams in the East? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, it's tough. It's tough because of <laughs> T.J. Warren being injured. Is- right it's kind of changed a lot of, you know, what I initially thought. I thought this could be, you know, in the Eastern Conference, I thought this could be a team, okay, okay, let's see who they're not better than. They're not better than assuming that, you know, Philly doesn't completely gut the whole team. They're not better than Philly, not better than Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Um, Are they better than Boston? Um, I I might say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say they're better than Boston, potentially better than Washington, Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland. I, so I, I guess I'm saying that I think they rank somewhere up about that number six spot. If yeah. I'm if I'm doing best, if if all things go well, I'm thinking six spot. I thought they had a chance to be five or four for thinking that TJ Warren was really healthy and Duarte was going to do what he was going to do. I expect Isaiah Jackson to come along, and they have some good assets if Jeremy Lamb could get back healthy, where they can make a move or two with the roster to really take a step forward. So I'm going to conservatively say they're the sixth best team in the East. I think they're definitely better than, um, I think they're definitely better than those teams I've mentioned. Boston. I'm not sure about Miami though. Yeah. Exactly what they are, but I think definitely a team like Boston, you know, some of those I already mentioned Washington, even though I think Washington's going to be much better. I think the Pacers are in, in, a, in a position where this should be a playoff team that finishes you know, uh, if I had to take a guesstimate, I'd say 45 wins, maybe. Okay. I'm guessing somewhere in there, 40, yeah. 44. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah. And if TJ Warren were healthy, I might go up to 47, you know, but I'll yeah. say 45 to 44 right now. Yeah. Well, we scheduled to do our predictions for the standings the day that the TJ Warren news broke. So I already kind of had my stuff already written down, so I didn't change it. I had them finishing fifth. And I had Miami, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn ahead of them. And I actually had Philly at six just because I don't know what's going to happen with them with the whole Ben Simmons thing, number one and number two. 
Joel Embiid's got to prove that he can stay healthy because last year he missed 21 games, I think it was, of the 70, 72, 74 games that they played. So yeah. just a guy you can't rely on. And in those games, they went 10 and 10 and 11, and I'm pretty sure Ben Simmons was there for most of those. And then I think I think Simmons missed around 14 games, and, and the Sixers were 7-7 seven and seven without Simmons. So to me, it's like without their two best players, they've been kind of a 500 team. So I feel like they could take a bit of a dip. I know 1-6 to six is a major drop-off, but who knows what's going to happen with all that drama in there and how it's going to – you know, Philly is just a crazy sports town anyway. And then a lot of people that are high on Boston, I mean, I get it. I think Jason Tatum has MVP potential, I guess you could say. I like Jalen Brown, but like, really, like, what is this roster? It's so confusing to me. I don't know if Al Horford is still the same guy he was two or three years ago when he was with Boston. Um, they brought back Ian Cantor. There's high hopes for Robert Williams, and they got Dennis Schroeder. I just, this Boston team is so weird to me, but I, I had them finishing seventh, and I feel like the Pacers, if fully healthy, can really go toe-to-toe with Boston, and they might be better, you know, depth-wise than them, but a lot of people will push back on that just because Indiana's kind of the forgotten team. I agree. I'm not, I'm I just, yeah, I think Boston things could go real sideways uh, for Boston real fast. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, yeah. And I'm, I'm just not, I'm not sure about them at all. So that's why I, I agree. I have them around seven or eight actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Philly, it, to me, it doesn't even really matter where Philly, if they drop from, I think I have them listed as like four or five, if like unofficially like in my head as I rank them, but really it's all about, it's not even about the regular season with Philly. Philly has to worry about the postseason. You know, if you look at NBA history or at least recent history, see, I picked Milwaukee to come out of the East this year um, uh, because after the previous couple of seasons, I picked I picked Toronto to beat them uh, that that season when you know Toronto obviously won the title with Kawhi uh, because I thought my my logic and my rationale there was because. Toronto in that regular season was playing for the postseason. You could tell by moves they made, games they lost, roster adjustments in people they sat. They made that according because they were playing for the big, the bigger picture. And Milwaukee was always playing for the regular season and just figured it would translate in their postseason. And they kind of figured out uh, having the best record of being number one in the East isn't what it's necessarily about. And what happens when they kind of de-emphasize that and change their perspective? They win the title. And I think Philly, the same thing. They were not built. They were built for the regular season these last few years. You know, who cares about dominating during the regular season? I mean, didn't LeBron's Cavaliers teach teach everybody that, that, you know, you could be the third or fourth seed and still make it to the finals? I mean, Doc Rivers is the first guy I remember that year they made the last time they made it to the finals. I covered that finals when they they lost to the Lakers that year when Kendrick Perkins blew out his knee. But they were the dominant team all the way through December. They were the number one in the East. Then they dropped to number four because he started resting and sitting guys, managing them for the bigger picture. And then they end up getting to the finals, upsetting LeBron and the Cavs that year. I think that was 2010. Um, because they played for the postseason. They made moves and they experimented with lineups and different guys so they could be postseason ready. They didn't worry about being the four seed. They actually were a better team than what their ranking was in terms of the conference. And I think that's how you got to look at whether you're Philly or Indiana. I mean, maybe Indiana can't afford to do that because they don't have that wiggle room to kind of, you know, blow games like that. But I think if you're the goods, you don't have to worry about being being a number one seed is great. But 
you could be two, three, or four and still get it done. If you're outside of four, it's going to be real difficult. But um, yeah, I, I'm not so much. I, I, I worry about Philly more in the bigger picture uh, in terms of playing when it comes to winning the championship because we've seen them dominate and be great in the regular season and be completely the opposite in the playoffs. So I think for teams like that, that has to be the emphasis, not, hey, we had the we had the best record in the East. Well, if you're going home by the semifinals or the conference semifinals, who cares? Right, right. And then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody cares about the regular season stats, right? So that's that's what it all comes down to. How many rings do you have? And, I, and I'm, you know, the, just because you brought up the Sixers, a lot of drama going on there with Ben Simmons. I know some Pacer fans are, Curious if there's any interest in the Pacers. So I guess before you left the beat, what was your intel on the whole Ben Simmons to the Pacers or the Pacers' interest in Ben Simmons? I had reported, somebody in Philly had reported that the Pacers had offered Malcolm Brogdon in a first-round pick for Ben Simmons, which wasn't true. Um, I, I think that probably, if I had to take an educated guess, that came from Daryl Morey, who's known for having loose lips, and he knows how to play media guys and, and do that game to get traction going to try to, you know, leverage a better deal somewhere else. He's a master at doing that. But at that time, I think I reported, I think I put it out, I know it was on in my tw- Twitter feed, I said that uh, that deal has not been made. Actually, the Pacers hadn't talked to anybody. And during that time, that was a pretty big dead period. Um, uh, nobody was, um, there really was no talk around the league. That was kind of a dead period. Uh, teams weren't talking to each other. So that was even more, you know, that solidified even more that offers weren't being made at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I said that that Daryl Morey and the Sixers are trying to get Damian Lillard from Portland. And I, and that that's the whole end game for what they were doing with Ben Simmons to begin with. That's who they want. They want an all-star, a high-level all-star player for him. They're not trying to get spare parts and a few draft picks. They want a proven guy who they can plug in and play with Embiid right now because they don't have time to get a bunch of developmental guys and role players. The roster's full of role players. They don't need that. Um, and I was told at that time that they didn't, you know, that they didn't expect uh, Portland to be willing to move Lillard until next year, that it becomes a real possibility. Uh, and that, so when the Pacers interest in, uh, if you look at his contract and you think about, uh, of the Pacers are the type of organization that's going to spring that kind of money. What he's owed, he's owed what 140 million over the next four years or some crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for a guy who can't shoot, uh, who can do, he does a whole lot of good things. Don't get me wrong, I love Ben Simmons, but do you love him that much at that price tag? I guess is the question. And I think tying up salary long term for a guy like that, I I just can't see him doing it. I mean, I could be proven wrong. Who knows? There could be something that comes up and comes across the table that makes it an attractive deal for the Pacers. If you told me money wasn't an issue, would Ben Simmons be a guy I would try to get out of the Pacers? Absolutely. Yeah. He can plug a whole lot. He can plug a whole lot of gaps and that would allow you to do something with that Miles Turner, uh, Demonis Sabonis combination to, to, because now you got a guy who can play the four and who you could play small ball as a five. If you had to, um, uh, if you had a guy like Ben Simmons, so don't get me wrong. I absolutely love his game. Uh, but I just don't think at that price tag, that's the biggest issue for me. And that's why I don't think the Pacers, um, I, I, it's hard, it's difficult for me. If the Pacers had a bad contract, like a Ben Simmons size contract, and you wanted to trade a bad contract for a bad contract, you know, the way you saw Westbrook and John Wall get flipped, then sure, I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. But they don't have that kind of, they don't have that kind of uh, contract on their roster to, that they need to, that they would like to move. So yeah. it makes it difficult too. 
Yeah, and then we, we know Minnesota, they've had a lot of interest in Ben Simmons reportedly. Uh, a lot from The Athletic. I've seen a lot of reports there and their interest in Ben Simmons. And then they fired their president or their GM, uh, Rosas, yesterday. And it was just a really weird situation that's going on there. And I know Carl Anthony Towns was kind of confused by everything that happened. So you kind of thought Minnesota might be starting to pull things together. And then this whole thing happens. And it just looks like a complete crap show over there right now inside the uh, inside the front office, what's going on there. So any insight on what's happening in Minnesota? And do you think that Carl Anthony Towns is a long-term piece there for that team? I mean, if he's saying he wants to get the hell out of there, everybody wants to get out of Minnesota. Uh, yeah. And that's a damn shame because I actually like going there. I think it's a good fan base, good organization in terms of there's a lot of potential there, but they fumble the ball every single time. Every time they have a chance to gain traction. Uh, I mean, I, bl- I blame David Kahn, <laughs> who was running the show back there when, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, who made some really bad decisions, or Ricky Rubio. Um, David Kahn thought he was the smartest guy in the room and everybody else was an idiot. I know because I spent a lot of time with David Kahn. Um, uh, just uh, uh, they, they've always gotten the wrong people in charge. They've never had the right coaches. They've never had the right players. I mean, if you call Anthony Towns and you actually want to win, I mean, I don't really care about the weather and it being cold. I mean, you know, look, when you're playing an NBA, you have an NBA career. If you play 12, 13, 15 years, it's not like you got to spend the rest of your life there. You know, if you're getting millions of dollars to play basketball for a decade and a half, I mean, that's not, that's not bad no matter where you're doing it at. You could be doing it in the worst city in America. Um, But, uh, I just don't think they – I think that's an organization that doesn't have a plan, that hasn't had good ownership. And I think it's a perfect example of when you're rotten at the top, how things just trickle down and things can just keep happening. They just keep happening. And when people, like, who are fans of, say, the Pacers complain about Kevin Pritchard or the Pacers, like, yeah, you could have Minnesota's front office and, and the stuff they have going on. Would you rather that instead – um, you know, think about that. There's a lot of teams that would kill for the stability and the kind of uh, level-headed decision-making that you have in Indiana. But so uh, that's a long-winded way of me saying, no, I don't think Carl Anthony Towns' his future is in Minnesota because I don't see a plan. And if, any, if you see a plan, let me know because I don't know what it is. I, 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 I do know, you know, Ryan Saunders, um, who used to coach there, uh, you know, he used to be an assistant coach when I was in Washington. Uh, you know, I've known Gerson Rosas for the better part of 15 years. Um, those are good people. I don't know what's internally has been going on there, but something's in the water and they can never get it right. I just don't think it's a place, um, you know, I, I think it's a place more so than anything else. Uh, maybe you can take some of their guys off of them. I, I don't see anybody in their right mind of any quality wanting to go there and sign over their, their careers long term to play for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I don't see it either. And, you know, I threw out yesterday that I would throw the – I'd throw everything on the table for Carl Anthony Towns at the Pacers, and I got some I got some pushback back, uh, people saying that he's not good, he's not good enough to get his team to the playoffs. And, you know, yeah, I, I just don't understand for me personally. Like, I'll just vent to you, I guess, on this podcast. And if anybody listens, they can go off on me later. But it's just like everybody gets mad because the Pacers are stuck in this treadmill of mediocrity, as Kevin Pritchard once called it. You have an opportunity maybe to go after a guy that's considered by a lot of people a top 10, top 15 player in the league, and then we act like he's not really that good because he's been in a crappy situation in Minnesota. 
That's really not his fault. I mean, come I on. You, now. Hey, dude, I tell you what. Put Demonis Sabonis in that position of Carl Anthony Towns. You think that you think T Wolves are going to the playoffs every year? <laughs> Heck no, and he's not an all star. Exactly. Right. I mean, so give me a break. You guys got to be out of your damn mind if you believe that. Um, it, it's about this whole idea. Well, he doesn't take his team to the playoffs, kind of stuff. Like, man, if you have a a bad front office or, or or bad roster building, and I thought Gerson Rosas was part of a good front office, but like, you know, obviously with him getting fired with some things that seems like it was non-basketball related, he didn't have a chance to kind of build on that. But if, if you have bad coaching, or maybe you know the coaching is incongruent with the players you have, the style of play you have, there's really no plan. Um, if you have bad scouting in terms of advanced scouting for your opponents, maybe scouting for prospects or free agents that you're going to bring in or draft picks you make, it doesn't matter how good you are as a player. You have no control over that. You have no control over that. That's not a Carl Anthony Towns thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, I, I mean, was, was, was Paul Gasol a bad player in Memphis because they didnn't win anything with him in Memphis? Boy, I tell you what, he sure changed everything for Kobe Bryant when he got traded to the Lakers. He all of a sudden was an all-star player all the time. He was an all-star when he was in Memphis, I think, a time or two. But he was a dominant player when he went to the Lakers. So that's 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 crap. I can't believe anybody would say, use that argument against Carl Anthony Towns. And- no, I, I want to go pull it up just so I could read some of this stuff to you. I mean, I was just blown away by how many people are anti it. It's just, uh, yeah, so... We have we have some people here saying leave a small market to come to another. I mean, wishful thinking, uh, catch really good, but like, what would we even give up so we could become the Timberwolves East? You know, it's just like I, wait, 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 leave a small market that's that has a bad culture, that is badly run, that has bad ownership, for one that is well run, that has some consistency with ownership. You know, I know a lot of people complain about Curb doesn't spend enough and all this other stuff um, and that the Pacers play a conservative. So you, you're, you're upset that the team doesn't take enough risk. This is about as a, a, a good a risk, and I, I really use the word risk lightly here. You're not taking a whole lot of risk because you know Aunt Carl Anthony Towns is a good player. And just because his team isn't good doesn't mean individually he's not. Is he a great defender? No. Um, does he do everything great? No. Nah. But – does he do things that you need, and is he a valuable? Can he get you twenty and ten on any given night on on an average night? Of course, on an average night for him, he can get you twenty and ten. Um, that's absurd. Like that. That's that's <laughs> but, <laughs> you. You can only hold a player. You can only you know. It, it, I always get a kick out of people who you want to use a team. What the team doesn't do against the player. I mean, it's one player among a team of fifteen, right? And and you got, you know, two two-way players and all this other stuff going on. He's responsible for everything they do incorrectly. One person? Like, yeah. you know, and, and he's a and he's a young guy who's been in a situation where he hasn't learned how to win. And part of that is because he's around a bunch of people who don't know how to win. So how is he gonna so maybe you put him in a better situation with a stronger organization, stronger coaching, stronger structure around him? Maybe he does that and he does it for you. Because you're able to, ma- he's able to maximize with you when he's not able to maximize with them. That's that's. There's no way you make that decision. If if the Pacers could get Carl Anthony Towns tomorrow, if they could, if, if Minnesota called him, if Carl Anthony Towns his rep said, "Hey, look, he wants to come play for Indiana. Are you willing to give up this guy and that guy to get him?" And if not only does 
Kevin Pritchard take that call. They will stay up all night to make that deal happen, and nobody's getting off the phone until it's done. And that's what they <laughs> should do. Right, and that, that's how I felt. I'll read you three more tweets here. They're, they're lengthy, so listen. This is one. It says, yeah, bring that same commitment to Naptown that he has in many. All those playoff series wins and chase players that are all about winning like Jimmy Butler out. Yeah, love for Nap to give up everything for that. Why not? Seems like a good call. Uh, then there's another one. Nay, a center with no defense, all offense, like a better Sabonis. We have the younger, cheaper version, and besides, that style doesn't win. How has Minnesota been the last few years? And then my la the last one here, so that we become the Minnesota of the East, no thank you. We have to gut our whole team to get him, and he's not a winning player. No, he's not top 15 player either. Or if he was, Minnesota would actually win some ball games. I'll tell you what, again, is, is, is Demonis Sabonis a top 15 player? No, and it's like, I mean. Is Brogdon, got, top, is Brogdon top 15 player? Well, apparently Sabonis is only 40th overall, according to ESPN rankings, which I think is a pretty fair ranking. So it's like, uh, you know, quite quite frankly, it's just like we have all these guys. We talk about it before. They're all B-level players. I mean, if you think Carl Anthony Towns is a B-level player, then I think you should reevaluate how you uh, evaluate talent. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's 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 crazy. But, again, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, you know, so they're talking about how bad, how bad of a, apparently that his team is or that he is because his team isn't good. Um, let me see. Uh, let, let me humor you here. Um, Malik Beasley, Beasley, Jared Culver, Ed Davis, Anthony Edwards, who's pretty good, Ashton Hagens, Juan Hernan Gomez, Jake Le uh, Lehman, Jaden McDaniels, Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, uh, Josh Okogie, Nas Reed, Ricky Rubio, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt. Really? You expect that to be a playoff team? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? D'Angelo Russell, who's probably one of the worst all-star point guards I've ever seen get to an all-star. Well, D'Angelo Russell proves to you that, you know, if you're in the right situation like he was in Brooklyn and they had a good season, he's an all-star. But now all of a sudden, he, now in Minnesota, I, I thought he was an all-star player. Oh, Really? Oh, okay. So now, see, it goes to show you, depending on the place that you're in, in one place, he's an all-star. Was he an all-star with the Lakers? Nope. Was he an all-star with Minnesota? Absolutely not. So that goes to show you where you play. All of these guys are good players, but, or, you know, but where you are matters a lot in terms of your ability to succeed and to have team success. One thing is individual. The other thing is team. And sometimes we reward, reward guys for team success when individually they may not be as good as we think they are, but their team is good. Right. And they're guys who are good individually, but their team isn't good. And we penalize them. Well, you clearly have, you're able to get good numbers and good stats. You can be a good player. Your team's not making the playoffs. Therefore it's your fault. That's flawed, flawed logic. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, look, I think a lot of people agreed with me on it, but there are still just some that were so adamant, like this is the dumbest idea ever. And it's like, I don't care. Like if, you know, maybe I shouldn't get so defensive and care people say, but it's just like, I, I was just blown away by how many people were coming at me saying that Towns isn't that good. I'm just like, really? Okay. Uh, I, I get it. <laughs> it's just like, what, what's going on here? Like, I, I that's yeah. one thing I was so baffled by. It's like, you know, we, we sit here and we praise a guy like Bradley Beal, who I think is a great basketball player as well. But at the same time, like, what's he really doing for Washington? He barely got him into the playoffs as an eight seed last year. And, you know, I mean, he had Russell Westbrook on his team. I mean, if, if Towns even had someone remotely as good as Russell Westbrook, you know, they might be a little more competitive. But 
at the same time, it's like the East is so much worse than the West was last year specifically. So it's like, you know, look at Devin Booker. Look at what he was before he got a Chris Paul and they got some good draft picks and they got some good players in there next to him. It's all about how you build your team. And Minnesota has been a lottery team for numerous years for that reason. They just don't know what they're doing. And, you know, unfortunately, I want them to be better because, you know, it's just, I hate seeing franchises just suck like that for so long, but it's just like they're not going to turn this around ever. Let me give you one more example before you we go. Um, yeah. The Manus Sabonis, who I keep bringing up, and I keep bringing him up because he's the all-star for the Pacers, not because I'm picking on him. Right. He's the all-star guy. Um, what was the Manus Sabonis in uh, Oklahoma City? Well, he started out as a power forward and then went to the bench. Okay. Um, I've watched him before. When he came to the Pacers, um, you know, I, I'm a film nut, so I watch everything. And I did breakdowns on him in Oklahoma City. Billy Donovan tried to make him a stretch four. He was terrible at it. Like, I mean, Demonis was, was spreading and shooting jumpers from 22 feet repeatedly. That's why he ended up falling out of favor in Oklahoma City and ended up getting traded the way he did to Indiana for basically, you know, the, the way he was kind of thrown in with the deal with Oladipo. Now you see him play for the Pacers. He's, he's used differently by a different coaching staff by a different organization that has a different vision for how to maximize him, and he becomes an all-star. That goes to show you, he Sabonis didn't all of a sudden become a better player in Indiana, even though he, he, his production was better, he's more effective. He was used differently. The scheme they used was different. They maximized his strengths rather than trying to make his weakness his strength. And that's why Sabonis is who he is right now. It matters the organization in the way you're used. And so when people make those kind of remarks, they're doing it from such a one-dimensional point of view. They don't get it, and they're never going to get it. I remember reading a story about Duncan Robinson and about how Miami developed him. My guy, I think it was my guy, Rob Mahoney, who works at, um, I think, uh, at The Ringer, who did this. Yeah. It was a fantastic story about how, hey, he's 6'8". He's not a great defensive player. He can't do this. He can't do that. And instead of Miami focusing on trying to make him strong at all the things he was bad at, they said, man, this is a guy is 6'8". We got we to tighten up his stroke. They made him into a lethal league-leading three-point shooter by focusing on what he did well. And he says, look, we don't want you to try to do this and do that and do that and do that. We want you to focus on this, and then we'll try to build from that little by little in some of the areas. But we want you to be the best that you can be at this. His strength was three-point shooting, and Miami bought it out of him. And now they're trying to add some other things to him, being able to run a pick and roll and all that other stuff. But they didn't try to make him a, a pick and roll point guard, a ball handler and stuff. They wanted to make him a shooter. And they, 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 but if he goes to another team and they try to make him into something other than what he, what Miami did, he might be out of the league. Nobody would be talking about his name and mentioning his name and he wouldn't be making all the money that he's making. So it matters where you go. Cause if you start out at the wrong place and you use the wrong way, it can make a good player look like a so-so average player, maybe a bad player. So it matters. So saying, well, he didn't get his team there. It's about more than the player, about why these teams don't succeed. When you routinely fail the way Minnesota did, Minnesota has year after year, they were failures before Carl Anthony Towns got there. Okay? That's part of their culture. That existed before Carl Anthony Towns got there. And if he were to leave, it's probably going to stay the same once he leaves. Are you going to still blame Carl Anthony Towns for that? No, that's not his fault. Yeah, and, and that's why a lot of Pacer fans, you know, they might get upset about it, but that's why the Pacers organization 
they refuse to go down that path. They, they're not going to be a team that bottoms out all the time. They're not going to be a team at the bottom of the standings. They're going to do whatever they can to compete because of that culture. And that culture is something that, you know, it, it's so important. I don't think people talk about it enough, how important the culture is of a franchise, but I kept you long. Thanks for staying for a little bit of double overtime action here as we brought up Ben Simmons and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, anything you want to plug before I let you go? Man, I'm I'm plug. I'm gonna unplug anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to unplug and uh, I'm about to go run down at the beach, man. I need to go sneak in a run. All so, right, man. I'll be I'll be plugging my run. I'll be I'll probably put some pictures up over the Gulf of Mexico soon. So uh, <laughs> eat your heart, eat your hearts out, Indy. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You guys can follow him as you already know on Twitter at this is Jay Michael. All right, everybody, that does it for another episode of Setting the Pace. I want to thank Jay Michael once again for coming on. Always enjoy when he's on the show. And when Jay Michael talks, you just listen because he knows his stuff. Make sure you guys check us out on Instagram at Pacers Talk. We're also on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Gold NBA and Fach is at underscore FACCI. You can also find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace and over on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy what we're doing this upcoming season with our TikTok account. So make sure you guys are following there. If you are on TikTok, we are at setting the pace. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week, hopefully with some more guests on this show to talk all things Pacers basketball. So be on the lookout for that. We will talk to y'all then. Go get Smoking Barrel Barbecue. Open 11 to 7 on Friday, 11 to 6 on Saturday over at 2316 South German Church Road. Really appreciate them and all their support. We'll talk to y'all later. Oh, we have some smother chicken on that one. Smother chicken. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.